This Week in HPC. SanDisk finds its buyer. And DOE taps Penguin for petaflops. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. Michael, we've got Penguin coming back into the news this week in HPC. We haven't talked about them in a while, but first, before we get to that, we've had a whole rash of movement in the flash storage space. We talked last week about SanDisk getting close to an acquisition, and now we have it. Yeah, the acquisitions, uh, they they never they never let up. Uh, I think we've had like three or four weeks of acquisition talk, and sure enough, here's another one. Western Digital said it will buy flash storage vendor SanDisk for uh, $19 billion, another big, big deal in the, uh, in the storage space. And yeah, uh, Big, big change now for for both part for both uh, both vendors. And this isn't even the first time we've talked about SanDisk in this uh, context. But before we talked about them as the buyer, because we've been tracking, we were tracking Fusion IO going back a while ago, right. and SanDisk was the acquirer of Fusion IO last year in a separate uh, one billion dollar, little over a billion dollar transaction. Now we have further consolidation in this space uh, as as uh, Western Digital becomes the, the larger parent company. There's always a bigger fish. Yeah, the, the little fish eat the, the bigger fish, and then the bigger fish eat them. It's 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 actually it's a big align, a realignment for Western Digital because they have they've now become basically the number three provider of NAND flash with this buy behind uh, behind Samsung and, and Intel, almost tied with Intel now. So they've actually you know strategically aligned their their business now to be a major NAND flash provider as well as a, a device provider with the with the Fusion I.O. inside of that. And it's when you look at some of the relationships between all of these different companies that the fit with Western Digital was a little better than it might have been with other potential suitors like, say, Micron, who was right. in the running there. Right, because you know, Western, or I should say Sandus was lined up with Toshiba for, for the NAND production, and uh, Micron and Toshiba were, were essentially competitors, or they were competitors, so the, the, the marriage there would have been a little divisive. So this is a, this is a good lineup, basically. It brings uh, a hard disk uh, and storage provider with extra flash capability and, and just a broader set of offerings. Whereas with Micron, it would have consolidated a, a NAND provider into, from two smaller ones into a larger one. Um, and, and then with that sort of problematic relationship with Toshiba. So this is sort of, I guess this was more meant to happen. And uh, like I said, it, it brings a lot broader array of products into Western Digital and, and hedges their bets with the, uh, the hard dish business. Well, right, exactly. And it just shows the importance with which the enterprise storage providers are treating the flash space, that, that any enterprise storage provider feels like they have to have a seat at the table in the flash game. Now, I don't take this so far as to start projecting the end of spinning disk to say that flash is going to start 
replacing everything. I think we do see a lot of replacement in, in the low end of, of IT with things like PCs. I'm going to get a new PC. I want it to be flash-based. I don't really want a, a, a spinning disk in my laptop anymore. But right. at the enterprise level, I think disk is still going to be an enduring part of this market for a while. Right, but I think what you are seeing is uh, a lot of disk systems now have sort of a flash front end on them to accelerate the, the performance. So even though you, you don't have all flash systems uh, in any way dominating the space, you have a lot of flash tiers on, on what used to be all, all disk systems just for the, just for the IOPS. Yeah, that's exactly right. Although, you know, how you start to look at the management of these things, especially for scalable applications, I think it's going to be really where the rubber hits the road on this. We've been seeing a lot of the diversity in hardware architecture. Big data has been a major trend. Is it HPC? Is it not HPC? I don't know. There's more people buying scalability and performance. But the open void to me uh, is, is in who, how are you going to consolidate that storage management space, whether it's a, a a file system, a parallel file system, or a storage operating system rather than a file system if you're talking about something that's more object-oriented, because you've got a real disconnect in how you set up a file system, for example, over the flash and the uh, spinning disk components. What Simple things like, what's the block size, and can you handle shorter blocks on flash and longer blocks on the disk? It, this is really gets to be a challenge for a storage administrator. And I hinted at this a little bit in the article I wrote on the Dell's acquisition of EMC that was published in the platform uh, uh, just recently, um, that, uh, that it's how you're going to consolidate that, that storage software space that I think is the critical investment that's yet to be answered. Right, and I think what you're talking about is, is part of what's driving some of these acquisitions. The, the vendors want to control the parts so they can control the software stack and create an integrated system that, that's performant and, and works together. Um, so I, I think to have this stuff in-house and be able to build systems that, that are coherent, I, I think, is one of the drivers for some of this consolidation within, within the storage space. But in any case, Western Digital acquiring uh, Sandus, pretty big deal in this space. It doesn't look quite as big when we were just talking about Dell and EMC. That's gigantic, but this is a pretty big acquisition on its own and continues the game of strange bedfellows in the high-performance storage arena. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's get to our other big piece of news, and then maybe we'll have time for a third also. But we had to take notice that this week in HPC, we have Penguin back in the game for the huge government supercomputing business with a multi-petaflop, multi-agency deal. Yeah, Penguin Computing won the uh, the, the Trilab uh Commodity Technology System. This is basically the third one in that series. APRO won the first two. This is the uh, the DOE uh, contract for the uh, the NNSA deal that that's for the three labs. Uh, it's Lawrence Livermore, Sandia, and Los Alamos. There's basically some clusters to each one. These are capacity clusters. And for the first time, Penguin won this. Um, and it's a company, obviously, we haven't talked much about Recently, and this is a very big win. It's it's not a single system, but it's in aggregate. They're saying it's going to be seven to nine petaflops spread across those three labs and multiple systems. 
Right, and those total up to $39 million with options for some additional clusters or additional nodes that get thrown in. But the, the base contract here for Penguin for $35 million is the largest single federal government deal that they've done. Now, whether that's their largest deal overall or not, you get into analyzing some of their other multi-year commercial deals that, that are really multiple systems. So there could be other people who spent as much over the same time frame. But this is a as a single government deal for right. this time period for this much money is the biggest one that they've done. And we haven't seen that from Penguin in a while, but I think they're making a really concerted effort to get back into this space. Yeah, and and you know, we're just just looking at what they've announced recently. Obviously they they can't announce all their commercial deals because some of those customers don't want those things announced. But the last uh, non-commercial deal they announced that I could see was back in like 2011. That was another. That was a Sandia National Labs deal for sort of an experimental system with the AMD APU systems, a much smaller system. This is this is not that. This is a production system that's that's quite large. So in a way, it's sort of surprising they sort of jumped, uh, leapfrogged over a lot of the middle ground and, and jumped to the top of the heap here. And uh, yeah, they they haven't announced much, but yeah, obviously they've. Uh, they have devoted time into this space, and that's that's a huge win that's, that's come out of it. You know, the last time we talked about Penguin on this podcast was when they were making moves with regards to their own configurations for Open Compute Project. They're, they really went big into OCP, and, and I think it's noteworthy that we're seeing this deal come coincident with that change in strategy. Now, uh, DOE didn't make OCP part of the spec for this acquisition, so you can't directly say, well, they had OCP and other bidders, whoever they were, uh, didn't have an OCP. But uh, that would have to give them a lot of flexibility in terms of the, the multi-year contract, in terms of delivering other alternative processing elements. Let's say you get two years in and you want something around ARM, and you could still do that within an OCP framework. I think that would be uh, you know, potentially a nice flexible option. And I think it points to Penguin's strategic direction, trying to move forward not only with large-scale supercomputing, but hyperscale on the commercial side. Yeah, and I think that open compute framework did work in their favor here. I mean, the whole Trilabs uh, technology is about sort of these modular components that you just kind of stack together, and you do need uh, sort of that stackable flexibility to do that. And and I think maybe the uh, the open compute standards worked well into that or dovetailed into that well. So uh, it probably served them well, plus the density that, that it affords them uh, maybe helped them here as well. Um, there's, there's probably a, a bunch of advantages here, and, and maybe it helped them on price as well. I mean, there's uh, a lot of good things that can come out of these these standards where you can kind of strip away, in this case, uh, a, a lot of the extraneous stuff that normally ends up in a server and gets sort of a, a cut-down uh, purpose-built uh, platform that, that uh, plays well into HPC. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the price. We we can't conjecture exactly what the price, uh, or what the price from all the different uh, bidders was, or but this is an open. Uh, bid where the DOE will put out a spec and then people will say, here's how much we can deliver for how much money, and then they, they get fairly evaluated. You mentioned APRO getting uh, awarded the first two phases of this. This comes around to the third phase. Uh, OCP potentially does help Penguin with cost. 
uh, and uh, and maybe could have been a, a significant contributing factor to the win. Yeah, I mean, at $39 million for the whole contract, that probably doesn't include all hardware, but that's pretty good for something close to 10 petaflops. The, the previous version of this a couple of years ago was, was, as we mentioned, APRO, and I think they delivered in aggregate like three petaflops for, for about the same price. So, I mean, obviously, we're, we're getting performance increases based on technology uh, evolution and advances, but uh, basically $40 million for 10 petaflops, that's a, that's a good deal. And uh, you know maybe that was that was hard to match by some of the other competitors. All right, Michael. Uh, so good news from Penguin. Great momentum as we head into SC. Let's try to cram in one more just quick item here. You found an interesting uh, a new entrant for the upcoming top 500 list with a country that we haven't talked about before. Right. This is news from a couple weeks ago now, but uh, yeah, this is Croatia. Croatia we haven't heard much about in the HPC space, but they have their first what would be called a really big system. It's uh, it's over a couple hundred teraflops. It's called Bura, and it's at the University of, of Rijeka, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's going to be, like I said, this 200-plus teraflop system built by Bull, uh, at, at installed in that university, and it's the first uh, top 500 system that probably Croatia's ever had. You know, and more good momentum for Bull. Uh, you yeah. know, we've talked a lot about them and their supercomputing strategy, their investment in their own interconnects and BXI and the, 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 tread, the treading toward uh, Exascale. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bull a lot more in the weeks ahead, I'm pretty sure. But uh, nice to see uh, Croatia really in the, in the supercomputing race now. And nice to hear about some of these big systems that are not Cray or IBM, some of these smaller or other companies getting into the mix, too, which is always well, good. Well, we like to hear about the Cray and IBM systems, too. Let's be fair. We like to hear about all of them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to get some of the diversity. So, yeah, uh, Croatia is a new thing, and, and uh, certainly Bull's got a, a great business in Europe, and they've taken advantage of it here. All right, Michael. Well, thanks for the roundup. I appreciate it. It's always a busy time of year for us as we get into the pre-SC season, but, uh, but these are some fun announcements. Yes, they were. All right, Michael. Thanks a lot. Thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 